All right. I'm sure you have no questions, nothing to talk about, so we could probably just get out early, right? Okay. I want to make, before I do that, um, before we open up to questions, I'd like to make a plug. We, uh, in 2014, the summer of 2014, I was on vacation, Pastor Daniel did a message called Abounding in the Work of Generosity. And there was so much feedback and discussion on that, the elders asked me to do part two. And it's really all about the Christian and giving, Christian and money, Christian and savings. It probably the most full, I, I listened to that over the weekend and I posted it. You know, like on, if you're on, finds me on Facebook, I gather this together. I linked it there. And I think probably the fullest treatment, um, even more full than we're going to get into this morning is there. I thought it was excellent. I thought he did an excellent job. And, uh, you know, and I thought the message I brought, they fit well together. So you can go back and check that because there's nothing I think I'm going to say this morning that's going to contradict or, or in any way. Um, that, that's probably the best place to go. But that said, questions? Not having heard that yeah, yeah. podcast yet, was there anything in there or any recommendations you have as far as benchmarks of what you determine as somebody who is needy? How do you measure the, the fruitfulness right. or that sort of thing when it comes to giving? <sighs> that That's a great question. And honestly, that is the... Uh, Part has been rattling and round in my head the most in the last two weeks thinking through this stuff. If you use the biblical standard for poor and needy, you're looking at somebody who doesn't have daily food, doesn't have daily clothing, doesn't have daily um, water, maybe by implication doesn't have shelter. And, and yet you also have Paul saying, if someone won't work, not can't, but won't work, neither shall they eat. So you've got to discount the people who have put them, who are currently in that position, but are also currently unwilling to do anything about it. I don't know if I've ever met many biblically poor people in my life. I, I think in our country, with all the social programs that we have, um, with all the wealth that we have, um, if I were to sell my possessions today, I'm not exactly sure who I'd give them to. I could think of people who could be blessed by them, but I, I, if you said, Jeremy, who are the biblical poor? I, I don't have a long list. Um, I was talking to Jacob Moore this week, and he pointed out something to me that, that's pretty close, I think. Um, if you guys are familiar with Hope Ministries, they have a couple of tiers of ministry. They do a ministry to homeless people in the greater Des Moines area. Our, when I was doing youth, our youth group went down and worked with them. And, and what they do is they just go out and basically ask the guys living in the cardboard shelters, you ready to come in yet? And they will give them food and, you know, they'll give them some basic sustenance, toilet paper. But by and large, just waiting for guys to come in. And, and if guys can make it through a 30-day program where they um, show up for 30 days sober, at least when they come in at night, then they'll actually bring them into a housing facility, give them job training, and actually give them a skill, get them out. And so when you're dealing with people who've made it that far, you really do seem to be dealing with people, even if their own choices got them there. And a lot, he was saying a lot of these guys really just opted out of society. They wanted to take a couple years off from society. Not every, not in every case. Um, but for somebody who really now is trying to get out of that, I think you now actually may have somebody who is poor. Now, granted, they did it to themselves, but they're repentant. They're trying to get out, and they do it in a combination with faith. So Jacob was telling me how he likes to help out with that, and I said, you know, that 
that sounds probably like the closest thing I know locally to the poor would be that. So that's something I, I intend to look into. But that, that is what's difficult, is we don't have many biblical poor around us. Um, not in that sense. you got to go to other countries generally to find that. So that's, yes, microphone. Um, I've just kind of recently learned about another organization in Des Moines called JAPA, mm-hmm. um, and they too are... They work in conjunction with Hope um, and with some of the others, but um, they have a biblical principle behind them too, mm. um, and in helping. But, so they're another good organization. Right. Well, and even though we have the 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 poor, as it were, not in front of our face but through the internet and through television, through circulars, we have access to all sorts of stuff. Um, where we can, you can read Voice of the Martyrs, you can read up our missionary minutes, There, you can get to it. It's, it's difficult because we can forget the poor exist because we're not really, I mean, most poor people in America still have smartphones, right? And cable TV, most. Um, and uh, so it's tough, it's tough to meet somebody who really doesn't have food for today and really doesn't have clothing that's adequate. Um, not to say we shouldn't be giving beyond that. I mean, he, the, the word in this text is simply give charitably, give alms, literally. It's not even give to the poor, just give charitably. So um, I think they can go above and beyond the poor. Um, Greg, microphone. Since we've been talking about giving to poor people, mm. I think it might be a good moment to... Oh, to clarify from to, last week? No, no, oh, sorry. no. Sorry. To clarify, you know, we see people on the street. We see people at corners uh, with little handmade signs and things yeah. like that. I have a hard time. I, let me put it another way. I don't think it's appropriate to give to 99% of those people. Uh, I think an, a large percent of those people are scam artists uh, that have been proven to be scam scam artists who who drive away in their Cadillac after the end of the day and things like that, or just simply choose, as you told, said before, I'm not eager to give to the person who just chose sure. to drop out for a while because he didn't like having to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I believe things like Hope Ministries are so important yeah. because y- if you give to Hope and let them sort them out mm. uh, that is so much better it's because it takes a lot of energy and effort to figure out who's really worthy of being uh, you know I know I know God wants us to give uh, I know that he will never probably be angry with us or disappointed with us if we give to somebody who we thought was in need who really right. wasn't right. Uh, however when we do that we we keep from giving that to somebody right. who maybe is truly in need. Right. Um, I'm not trying to do, you know, stop anybody from giving, but give where it's really warranted. Well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that even further. When I was um, David Barrier, right? That's the guy's name who at least was the chaplain at Hope. Is it David Barrier? Barriola? Barrier told me that they actually find that there's a number of small ministries that would go down and try to work with the homeless that would actually do more harm than good. And they'd be frustrated with them because they'd run down and like build them a house out of plywood. And what he's saying is 
making them comfortable. He's like, look, we want to make sure they don't die and they'll make sure they don't freeze. But ultimately we want them to come to their senses, like the, like the prodigal eating the pig slop and say, okay, come in. If you're just sort of making them comfortable, you're not necessarily helping out. Um, and so one of the things we do, when you think about it, we have a deacon of missions and what Wendell does is, um, he's trying to phase out. We're trying to find some, you know, but what the deacon emissions does is instead of you and I having to do the background work on every person trying to raise support, looking for support for missions, is Wendell here? Where's Wendell? He's not, but I'd say at least 10 to one for every 10 applications we get, we find one person. Is Alex in here? What would you say the ratio of people who are asking for support and versus people we think, yeah, that seems like a good thing. Not very much. And so part of what we're doing in, in asking them is like, hey, so that we all don't have to do that legwork, could you sift that through? And then we can take our money corporately and give to something we can actually get excited about. Um, and, and ministries like Hope Ministries in some sense are doing the same type of thing. So they serve a good purpose in that sense. Having toured it, worked with them, I'm very confident that they're doing good. Um, Elsa. Yeah, one thing we could really, really do is, especially with us who work in IT, there are a lot of Hindus that are brought in. These Muslims, you have neighbors, you know, that are right. not white Americans. Just befriend them, be nice mm. to them, invite them over for tea. They really are, if you think of these circumstances, they're away from their families. A lot of mm. the guys, their wives are in other cities with their kids and mm. they brought to Des Moines for consulting work. Just invite them over for a cup of tea. You don't have to have a dinner and be scared of halal and all that vegetarian. Just have them over for tea and, and coffee. Right. Just befriend them. And, and that'll just open up when they trust. And then at some point, they're going to ask and talk. They will do that. And you right. can share the gospel. Yeah. Ron needs a microphone. In um, my line of work, that's what I, we do a lot is help low-income and poor people. And I think we're accurate when we talk about how do you describe someone who is, say, low-income or someone who is um, actually poor. We encounter someone who I would consider actually poor very rarely. Um, we did have somebody come in like, uh, last week that a husband and wife and three kids and their car and that's all they had. And so, um, but typically we run into people who are maybe um, low income for various other outlying reasons. But, to, you know, what I would classify as poor is someone who doesn't have a smartphone or living out of their car or, um, you know, looking looking for food every day. And we typically don't see that a lot anymore. Right. Let me, let me, absolutely. Let me make one other qualification, though. I don't think the poor, biblically, are the only people we are to give to. I would say the poor, when especially they're Christians, according to James, are the people we must give to. Because James, too, right? What, what good is it, my brothers, if another brother comes to you and says, I need food and clothing, not I need to pay my cell bill, and you say, go warm and be fed, because that do any good at all. So I think when you're dealing with a face-to-face -face brother, especially your sister in the local church, and you're dealing with that level of need, we are obligated 
to take care of that need. But I think, again, if we buy into this principle that we're storing up treasure in heaven, what I've been trying to pray and think about is like, Lord, show me good things I can invest your money into. And maybe that can be helping someone go to college. Maybe that can be helping a mom be able to stay home. Maybe that can be, there's all sorts of good things that I can invest into. So it's not as simple as, well, I don't know any poor people. So new card is for me then. You know, that's not, that's not the rationale. We should feel a sense of obligation when it comes to the real poor, um, especially those in our, in our immediate circle. But I think if we're looking, and I've been trying to look more and more and, and trying to shift my gaze, where are things I can really invest in? Where are things I can really get behind? Whether it's missions, whether it's ministry, whether it's just helping a family, help me find something good that I can pour my money into and direct my money into that's going to yield any sort of um, dividend after I die. You know? uh, so that's, that's the only other qualification I want to make is it's not like, well, we can only give to the poor. And Greg's point is well taken. Most of the people who are putting themselves up as the poor, or a good portion of them, are not. They're scam artists. Um, I, I, when I first moved to L.A., we, we, our first apartment we lived in um, was up in a nicer area, but our second apartment was right down in Panorama City. And so I remember taking a week or two trying to get to know some of the homeless people there and trying to you know, minister to them, invite them into my home. They, they, they were nervous. I'd bring my wife out to make it clear, like, no, I'm, we're married. I'm not a weird guy who wants to get you in my place. You know, and offering them, like, do you want to take a shower? Do you want to change your clothes? Do you want to have a meal with us? And they weren't, at least the ones I talked to, and three or four people, but it was pretty discouraging. Uniformly had no interest in that whatsoever. Um, and I don't want to therefore say, I talked to four people, therefore I know what all people like that are like. But I definitely know that there was a time when I tried to, okay, let's see what, and just, it was really discouraging. Um, it, it broke my expectations of what I thought I was going to find. Um, the best I got is, could I get the food, put it in a bag, and bring it down for him? Oh, yeah, the Wodenist. Okay, sorry. <laughs> now, this is a crazy story. Wodenism is the name of the Greek Norse mythology, the worship of Odin. Woden, well, you got Wednesdays named after him, right? Odd Wednesday? Yeah. Now, this guy was a practicing Wodenist. Um, I think I think he was a young alcoholic homeless guy. Um, and he was wearing like a hiking backpack and boots, and he was probably in his late twenties, early thirties, still fit, you know. And I think I, my guess would be something like he viewed himself like a Viking pillaging or something in a foreign land. I don't know how he pieced it together. He actually came in our home, and but here's the problem: I read a bunch of Norse mythology when I was a kid. And so as I'm trying to talk to him, I'm like, you're serious, you're a Wodenist. He's like, oh, yes. You know, I'm like, okay. And we start having a discussion. And I'm, what I'm trying to push him to is how does your system deal with sin? You know what I mean? And, but I know there's Ragnarok, and I know there's judgment, and I know what, according to Norse mythology, is happening to Loki. I know all about, like, they've got a system of comeuppance that's coming. You know what I mean? Is there transgression? What happens to people who transgress? Is Odin forgiving? You know, and he... Uh, he, he, he was a very shallow Wodenist. <laughs> and, and then he tried to sexually harass people at our apartment and then broke into our car. So he basically, we left, and we had a, a gated apartment complex. Um, yeah, he was a Viking, all right. He did the Vikings proud. Um, not very good. No, there's, no, 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 no. Here's, here's what he did. We left, 
And we had, it was a gated apartment complex, like an O, where the center of the O is where the pool was and everything. And it was still like, we say pool, like everything in Southern California has pools. And, um, and so we made sure he got out of our apartment, but he apparently didn't leave the complex. And so we left, and he apparently passed out down by the pool, and then two ladies were swimming, and he was trying to talk to them, and then he finally got shooed out, and he tried telling them, oh, we're, I'm here with the kidders. So I got called by our landlady wanting to know if he was our guest, and I said, absolutely not. Um, and then when we came home, a number of cars in the parking lot had been robbed, including ours. So that was my encounter with a Wodenist. That was just, that was, it was interesting. It was interesting. So thank you for reminding me of that, Serena. Oh, Jake in the back. Microphone. Your store. Your story kind of uh, brought me to a point that, for me personally, is difficult to deal with on this subject at times. Living in a culture where care of the poor has been centralized and institutionalized, also there's a very large current of distaste and dislike and hatred in our culture toward the poor since we don't have a lot of biblically poor people, and that can be difficult um, socially or when you're trying to um, be a Christian example, there's this undercurrent of, well, we work, and they're all posers, right. and that you run into in our society, and it can make it difficult for me, and for, well, makes it difficult for me sometimes to react in a godly way with right. that genuine compassion and love that we're commanded to have. And I wondered if you could maybe, your story reminded me of that, and it just if you could comment on strategies for keeping that care and love for the poor that is biblical, you know, in a society where people say there there really aren't hardly any poor left anymore and all they are all they do is cause more taxes for me. Right. We end up being like Ebenezer Scrooge. Are there no poor houses? Right? Yeah, that before I even get to answer your question, let me make one comment. One of the negative effects of um, this is a, a thesis that I came across about a decade ago that I'm still chewing on. The institution is the institutionalization of love destroys love. Meaning, whenever you institutionalize things like generosity, kindness, whatever else you do, you may well feed the poor. You don't end up with love. Um, because what you do at that point is you stop having a populace that learns how to actually care for the poor because the professionals are caring for the poor and like any other muscle that doesn't get flexed, it atrophies. So the unintended consequence of when I was at John MacArthur's church was so big that have a special needs ministry and they had a special needs ministry leader, pastor, and they had team members. And I'm sure they did very effective ministry to the special needs people. What didn't happen is the entire body didn't learn how to love difficult to love people. That, that was the unintended consequence of having a specialized team deal with that, as opposed to the body doing that. I never, unless I put myself in that ministry, had to deal with someone who is really hard and difficult to, to love. It just takes a lot of work. Um, so the unintended consequence of the government taking on this is everyday people don't need to do it. And if they don't need to do it, they're not going to do it. And anyway, so that, that's part of the trap. Um, interestingly, John Chrysostom in the fourth century wrote against Constantine empowering the state to make poor houses precisely because if that happened, he argued, Chrysostom, everyday Christians would stop, cease the, the biblical commands of hospitality. Up until that point, Christians always had a bit of food extra, a place for someone to sleep because the entertaining of strangers 
was a command, repeatedly in the New Testament, they were ready to do it. You know, nowadays, what's the most I'll do? I'll help fund for them to get, you know, I'll let the hospitality specialists at the Hyatt take care of them for me. They'll, they'll, they'll do the hospitality commands for me and I'll foot the bill. You know, and anyway, sorry. So how do you push back with that? Um, I would start by saying recognize the bias we have. Two, just pray that the Lord will help us to see real needs. Uh, they might appear in places where you may not necessarily see them. Three, recognize, be, be willing to get to know people. I mean, here's the challenge. On the one hand, I, I get that a fair amount of Okay, I have people four or five times a year. Somebody will come by here and want help money. I have no idea who they are. They'll show up in a car. And um, I, what I, here's how I try to approach that. Cause I want to avoid two pitfalls. I don't want to stereotype and say, okay, I know what you are. You're a shyster. 95% of the people who stop by here, ultimately, I think, are. I'm not talking about people who are part of this body. I'm talking about somebody who just drives up, comes in, sits down, okay, I need to help me out. So my general rule of thumb is this. I'll buy anybody a pizza and fill up anyone's tank with gas. I, the Lord's not going to be mad at me. I'll be taken advantage of to that extent. So anyone, anyone who comes by here, oh, this is going on a podcast. We're going to watch out now. Um, <laughs> But pretty much, pretty much anybody who comes by here, I'll take them down to the gas station, fill up their tank, buy them a pizza, you know? Beyond that, I want to talk to them and see if they actually want to be known and I can get to know them. And so I'll talk, and, and I'll talk about other options, like, hey, there's this Hope Ministry stuff. And if, they, if someone were to seem interested, yeah, I want help. Okay, then. If you're willing to open up and get, help me get to know you, and you're not being very picky about what type of help you want. And I remember the last guy I talked to, he needed a place to stay and he needed money for a place to stay. I said, well, you know, I know of some ministries. I don't want that. And I named another one. I don't want that. I said, sir, you're being awfully picky about the type of help you want. I don't know if I can, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Like, if you're going to be that precise and that narrow on the help you want, you're going to have to go somewhere else, man. But I try to do that without being cynical. I get, get to know them and let them reveal who they are as opposed to stereotyping and just saying, yeah, I don't deal with that. Um, we've had one person in the last 10 years who actually we started to get somewhere with who just came in off the street. So not everyone, but one person out of 10. But I don't want to get to the point where I just say, yeah, I don't do anything for people coming off the street because um, we can and unawares entertain angels, right? So I think the challenge is all, here's, here's the other challenge. The challenge is always getting to know people is messy and takes time. And so we know that a lot of these people, a lot of the folks who, who are, you know, putting up signs and stuff are, are bogus. And so if I don't want to take the time to get to know them and stop and pull over and talk to them, it's a whole lot easier just to harden my heart to them. That, that's the challenge. So I'd say where possible, actually talk to you, get to know people if you can. You know what I mean? Um, and, and realize that you hold your stereo. I mean, we all stereotype in a sense. We all size someone up. But the challenge and when it becomes sinful is when you don't hold it with a loose hand. So I look at somebody, okay, I got a fair idea where you might be coming from, but surprise me, you know, prove me wrong. As opposed to, you know, I know who you are. And I, with a tight grip, microphone, for, microphone, hold on. And if, as Jake was saying, that you're really concerned about being aware of the poor and uh, making yourself available there, you can go backwards into the ministries that you mentioned mm. and be involved in them. Yeah. Because, I mean, we there's several people at church here that help out with Freedom for Youth, yep. and that's an excellent ministry, and we see these kids, and they're just, you know, 
sad little situations that they come from, but they're, it's a good way to uh, learn what is out there and see the other side of the world. And, uh, but there's, you know, pretty much any ministry is going to have a place for you if you really want to care and get involved right. and see, you know, get in the dirt sort of, yeah. or not the dirt, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Can you guys open up to Hebrews 13? This ties in with uh, even more of a Jake's answer as Brian answered to Jake's. Th- thank you, Lee, with Jake's question. I just want to read the first three verses of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue, and then we're going to get some examples. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, hospitality doesn't mean really what we think it is. We go to someone's house, and they come, have it, you, know, you invite someone over, we have them over for dinner, we go over to someone's house for dinner, and they're hospitable. The Greek word is um, lover of aliens or strangers. So the real idea is you're inviting in the person you don't know. If they're known, they're not an alien, this ties back to the Old Testament of the sojourner and the foreigner, which isn't to say inviting dangerous, scary people, you know, using a certain amount of, of, of um, prudence, but how willing are we to bring people into our homes who we don't... And this gets back to taking the time to get to know somebody. You know what I mean? I don't know that person. They don't look like me. They don't look like we'd have a whole lot in common. That's going to be awkward, so I'll go love some people who look like me. And so part of part of the challenge is... Here's a command, hospitality to strangers. And so breaking out of our circles. I mean, if, if you find that you only know Christians, break out of that. <laughs> if you only rub elbows with Christians. I figured this out a little while ago, like six months ago. Given my life, my ministry, my kid, just about 99% of the people I rub elbows with know the Lord. Um, evangelism is going to be pretty hard like that, you know? Um, so... Here is a command to the general church that we need to be hospitable. We need to be opening our homes to strangers, the stranger in that sense. Um, And then the next one, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And we're not having many Christians imprisoned in this country, so if we're to obey this command, you're going to have to get online and go to Voice of the Martyrs and find out what's going on in the worldwide church. But these are commands. They are suggestions. Here are biblical commands that our bubble is going to shield us from ever bumping into. But I'm to remember them and empathize so strongly that I'm imagining if it were me, as if in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So Hebrews 13, 1 to 3 gives, lays out, this is the type of love we're to be doing. And unless we break out of our circles, or unless we go online, you're going to have a hard time doing this. Um, so those are some other things, Jake, that I remember and think of when I'm, when I'm doing this is it's going to be really hard if we keep moving in the same circles where all we see are the same. And Jesus gets to this. You invite the people to your house who then turn around and invite you to their house. Whoopee. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing commendable about it either. Um, so hold on, Candy, hold on microphone. You got Mike? Oh, she's got it. Um, one thing I just wanted to say, there's an organization called the Thankful Leper here in Des Moines. And Faithful? The Thankful Leper. The Thankful Leper. Thankful Leper. leper. Uh-huh. Okay. Like Ellie, yeah, like a leper. Um, and it was started by a man who was homeless. He definitely says never, ever, ever give money to somebody on the street. Um, he knows people personally. 
on the street, even a dollar took her life, one lady's life, one dollar that was donated by somebody just handing money. He said, if you want to get involved in their lives, get involved in the organization, they have like a food pantry and stuff that they have donations given to, but they never give cash. They'll give a gift card for well, um, McDonald's and stuff, but they never, ever give them cash. Yeah. They just don't. They, he knows. He was yeah. a drug addict, recovered. He drugs. He goes, that's what they want. They want the drugs. He says, so please never give even a dollar. Um, well, just going back to Jake's comments, um, I think especially in regards to the socially poor, um, there are other ways to give besides money. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm reminded of when, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the guy piped up, he's like, well, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so there are definitely other ways. Like we are to be helping the people around us, like even the people who are different or mm-hmm. may feel one way about being poor. Um, I know I was societally poor <laughs> when mm-hmm. I was growing up. Right. Um, so we, we had cable TV, but we didn't really have anything nutritious to eat at home. And um, I think education can go a long way with that. Yep. But there are definitely other ways to be providing for people. Um, that's not to say that you should feel begrudgingly about it, but um, just like pointing them places or getting to know them, having them over for supper, just something like that. Um, like you don't have to feel like, oh, more tax dollars. It really should be, okay, well, I'm going to, try to reach out to these people um, and they don't even have to be like societally poor but um, yeah. just viewing people as people you know they're humans they're sinners like all of us are yeah. I think that'll help a lot I don't mean to make the oldest guards feel awkward but I think the oldest guards I was just thinking this operate I think is biblical hospitality most Sundays they open their table in their home to college students from Simpson who they hardly know or just barely met and they will bring them into their home and I'm sure that costs money but that, that is a way you can show love and help and give and do hospitality that, uh, you know, I, to me looks beautiful. So anyway, th- thank you for that ministry, you guys. And I'm sure you feel really awkward right now. So we'll move on. Um, Ron, microphone. Uh, up until like um, Lyndon Johnson in 1965 with the Great Society. Then he basically pulled out any church responsibility and made it all right. <clears throat> uh, government responsibility to help the poor. And as a result, the percentage of poor has remained constant since 1965 at about 18%. Okay. And so we're really not fixing the problem, which is pretty obvious why. But what we see oftentimes when you talk about poor is children who are neglected or poor, right. and we see a tremendous amount of spiritually poor. Mm. Probably 60 to 75% of the people we encounter are spiritually poor and or desperate or um, just existing. Mm. Um, so we try, um, which is not quote what we're supposed to do, but that's okay, because nobody tells on us because we live in rural Iowa, but um, we try and connect them with churches or people that we know that will help them with their mm. spiritual um, weaknesses in an attempt to get them on the right track. Mm. Good. Yes. 
Oh, we got hands in the back. Dave, then my wife. Oh, oh, Allison first. She's got the mic. Thinking about the poor and the needy, um, is there a Christian responsibility toward those who are imprisoned who are not believers? I've been reading about the U.S. penal system. It seems like a very broken, mm-hmm. um, dark place. Um, and is there a responsibility that we have to those people who are definitely poor and needy? We have responsibility certainly insofar as they're part of all the nation that need to be made disciples. I think we further have responsibility. We, we're to model God's heart, which goes after the weak, the powerless. The other thing that I've found with prison ministry is you generally have a lot easier time. These are guys who get judgment, the notion of judgment and transgression and wrongdoing. They're on the other end of receiving judgment. They've been judged. And so to talk to them and say, and, and that judgment pictures a coming judgment. And you've got a lot of those categories in place. I've talked to some guys who do prison ministry that find that very fruitful. Um, so we certainly have an obligation in the sense of make disciples of the nations. We certainly have that. And it seems to be a very fruitful field to work in. So absolutely. that Not just Christians in prisons, but people in prisons. Absolutely. They need the gospel as well. Um, in the back, Mr. Kingery, then Serena. I just had a question. I, I've been helping uh, rich people who, you know, when they need help or that kind of thing. I was wondering, should I be doing that? People who whose gross income and net worth is probably 10 or 20 times mine, should I... That's way too little information for me to give an answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sometimes somebody just asks for help. And I never turn anyone down, but I, I, I was questioning whether I should be doing that or not. Still, still you, have to, I, you want me to sit in judgment, render a verdict. I need more information, Dave. Um, what, what do you need? Specifics. What, what kind of help? <laughs> There's a general principle, right? In in first, in not first Luke, in Luke six. <laughs> in Luke six, as Christians, in general, give to the person who asks me. Give and do not withhold. For someone who wants to, you to walk one mile, go two. There's a general yeah. principle: is whether you're rich, whether you're driving a Beamer. If you ask for my help, my general inclination, my starting disposition should be, of course. Other factors may come in. i got to get to work, or my wife and my family need me right now. But my default position, I should be leaning into, yes, if anyone asks for my help. Yeah, I've been doing that. But Good. I, I wonder, um, should I be doing that? Yes. Giving my time. Yes. Okay. Now, That's, how does that... Trans- but, I mean... Um, you need to be careful where you spend your money. Shouldn't yes. you be careful who you spend your give your time to? I I know that I'm like you said. Anyone who asks, then you do that kind of thing for them. But are you teaching them anything if they have the money to pay somebody else to do it, who is a professional in the kind of work that they're doing? I mean, we're going to have to talk after, Dave, because I'm still not totally tracking with you. What's that? I'm still not. So you're saying if somebody who has money, who has a car, has discretionary income, asks you to help them yeah. mow their yard, it would be better to teach them something by having them pay someone to mow their yard. Well, Is I that mean, the question? I mean, do, do, should I just 
just volunteer my time to help some rich person do something who could pay a mechanic to do the same thing who Should has you? a garage. Um, I mean, again, I, okay, let me, let me pause. Should you? I think, again, I'll push back, and I want to take, I'll answer my wife's question, then I want to take five minutes to re reiterate something I said in the message. Um, you are free to, and you can do that in love and in faith. Ought you to? Is there some law? I don't know of one, other than walk in the Spirit. So I think you can give of your time and help another image bearer of God, even if they're rich, in faith and in love to the glory of God. I think you can do that. I think you're free to do that. And you're free to do some other act of love in faith. So I don't want to give you a law. I certainly don't think what you've described goes against the new covenant law of love. I don't think there's any transgression in what you've described. You are free to love and act in faith. And if you want to help someone who bears God's image and give them service and do them good, then you are fulfilling the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Can you define this rich person as your neighbor? Absolutely. Well, there you go. Must you? No. So when you say, should I, you're asking ought. Is there an oughtedness? Mm -hmm. Now we're talking the categories of law. Right, requirement, obligation, duty, right? That's not the way the new covenant works. So can you do that in love? Absolutely. Is it good that you're doing? Absolutely. So it is wise to help somebody who can pay someone else to help. When did I use the categories of wise? You're I, shifting the categories asking. on me, Dave. I'm, I'm just asking. I, 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 it is wise to act in faith and love. Because I know that I, you mentioned that it's not good to give money to somebody who doesn't need it, but is a, but it is okay. I, when did I say it's? When did I say it's not good to give? You were putting. I I might you, be putting words in your mouth. I'm I'm not sure. I'm, I just. Trying I to don't want to give money to someone who will take the money to harm themselves. Someone who's going to go buy drugs and alcohol. I do not want to support that. Okay. That's different than saying it's wrong to give money to someone unless they're poor. If you're saying give me money to buy a gun so I can shoot myself, and I give you money, I do you harm. Right? Yeah, that's not okay. a problem. I, that's different than saying if you if they're not poor and you give them money, you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. Does that do you get the distinction? If me giving you money hurts you, but I'm not yeah, loving you to give you money. But you're you're saying, and I'm just checking to make sure I understand where you're coming from. You're saying that it would be wrong to give money to some person who seems to, who, who has the ability to work for themselves, or, or, or I'm not sure, you can't, you can't determine for sure whether they're, they're, they're poor or that maybe they have a car, so that means that they're really not poor. What have I said that makes you think I'm saying that? I, I'm not sure. I, I, I've heard some things I'm not quite sure what I am hearing, uh, but I, I, I just want to... Because I'm getting the feeling, not necessarily from you, I guess, but okay. I'm, I'm getting the idea that that you should be careful about giving money to someone who uh, uh, maybe someone else said that that if they have a cell phone or something like that, they're really not poor. I don't know who, where I heard that from, but I'm, what I said, what I did say, yeah, is. The biblical level of poverty, the categories Jesus is talking in, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, yeah. Paul, with food and clothing, we'll be content. That's, the, that's a bar. Yeah, okay. I don't know many people who are below that bar. 
Okay. I, I don't. You might. They might. I don't. That's what I said. That is a different category. There's a category of oughtedness. James, your brother or sister comes to you and needs clothing or food, yeah. not money to pay their cable bill. Now, I don't think I'm free to say no if I have the funds. This no, hey. now, now there's an obligation. Now there's an ought to, to me giving. But they have a car or, or they now, have a cell phone that, that no, they no, need food. Now, now we're at discretion and walk in the spirit. So you don't infer me saying that if you're, if you're interacting with someone above that threshold, it's wrong. I'm saying there's an obligation below that threshold. Okay. At that threshold, there is freedom. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm, I'm sorry if I... That's, that's all I'm okay. saying. So you're trying to get me to say you shouldn't. No. Okay. Here's a bar where you must. Okay. Above that bar, there's freedom. Okay, That's I, I may saying. have misunderstood you. I'm, okay. I'm sorry about no, no, that. No, no, no worries. No worries. That, that was just a curiosity of mine okay. because I, I've heard that before and maybe I interjected into what you were saying, okay. what some people say that, that uh, if, a, if a person has a certain amount of material possession and they need food or clothing for you know a period of time or something, they need to sell what they have and get rid of that before you will help them. And I'm not saying you. I'm saying that uh, that's that's the the assumption that that is held by certain people that you you don't really want to help them. And they just if they need food, then then sell. Get rid of your cell phone. Kind yeah, of there's a, there's and I'm not saying you're saying that, but I'm just saying that. But but yet at the same time. I should help people who can afford to pay a professional to do what I can Dave, do. Dave, we are now back where we started. I got, I, I'm not... I'm it not, is good. You know, Jeremy, I yes. just want to say uh, this. I, I don't know if I see the distinction between uh, helping them with money and helping them with my time. There is not a, a real distinction. And, and that's all good things to do. If... Um, if the mayor of Martinsdale, well, we'd actually do have a mayor. If the governor of Iowa, who I'm sure is wealthy, asks me to mow his lawn, I'm not obligated to do it, but I can certainly do it in love and in faith to the glory of God, and I'm free to do it. Okay. Um, you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm certainly not doing anything wrong. Yeah, there, there, I, I, I get that. But okay. Um, um, let me let me move on to the last question. You and I can chat afterwards. Serena, I'll let you bring us home. Okay, my question may be not useful now, but um, my thought was, since it, the definition of biblically poor is different, you know, we don't mm -hmm. have a ton of people like that, but it does, does seem like in our disjointed society we have a ton of people who are poor in, like I think about my extensive network that I have, I can call, I've got three or four friends that I can call if one of my kids is sick and they take the other one to the doctor, and I think there's just probably a lot of people without those things. Would that qualify as... You know, being the friend to those people, would that qualify as reaching out to the poor, like giving to the poor? Like, sure. No, of course. I, I'll let me let me let me um, get back. Christ didn't come to stop us from being poor. He came to make us rich, right? In Him, not in the prosperity gospel sense, but in the God's giving us the kingdom sense. So our, our, it's not as though we're walking around, we find someone who's poor, we get them just above the poverty line, now you're not poor anymore, we're done good here. Like, you can pour yourself into people who, who aren't poor and do that in faith and in love. There's just a whole lot of freedom. Here's, I'll use the example I gave last week. 
you know, um, the elders are out for a stroll after an elder meeting. We find $100 in the street, and we go around what to do with it. We can't figure out whose it is. And, you know, you, you know this example, right? So one missions, one put it in the church, um, one put it for the roof fund, one why don't you go take your wife out to dinner, one why don't you go give it to that homeless guy over there. Who's right? Which one must we do? What law tells me? I think those can all be done in faith and in love. There is no law. That's when Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, there is no law. That's what he's talking about. So I am obligated to act in faith and love and at all times. So are you. You always have to be at anything not done in faith is sin. But the particular demonstrations, the particular avenues of faith and love that you choose, that's entirely up to you. It's liberty. So somebody gets really excited by a little wana and working in wana. Someone else gets really excited about working with Hope Ministries. Someone gets really excited, whatever it is. And they're pouring themselves into ministry and acts of faith and love. And someone comes to me, well, should I, ought I do a wana? I don't know. You ought to be acting in faith and love. Go find something to do in faith and love. You know, I can help you. But there's freedom here. Now, there are situations where, and if you listen to those messages, um, those two messages we deal with, okay, where is the obligation? Where is there not a lack of freedom? Exigency, which is the term for immediate gross need. That's why a police officer doesn't need a warrant to come into your house if someone's screaming bloody murder. There's an exigent circumstance. There's fire coming out. A firefighter can just break down your door without a, without a warrant. Is of exigence. And so James gives us at least one example. Titus talks about cases of urgent need. Now there is an obligation. Now you can't just say when someone shows up at your door without food or clothing and they're part of the body, that's just not the type of faith and love I feel like doing today. Which I could say if someone said, hey, we're going to go help out at Hope Ministries. You want to come? I could say, that's wonderful that you guys want to do that. I think I'm going to do different acts of faith and love today. You know? There's a freedom for me to say, no, I'm not free to not act in faith and love. But how I do that, there's a lot of freedom except for those exigent cases. So I've been trying to identify where is there an obligation? Where must we do something? But just because there isn't a must, by no means means we're doing anything wrong. We do other things. Anyway, I'll, I'll call it quits for this morning. And you can check the links. It's from 2014 on Facebook. I put it. It's, it's abounding in the work of generosity. Part one, part two. Daniel does part one. I do part two. Anyway, God bless. Thank you.